0: Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. The prophet Jonah chapter 3. Sometimes we wear our emotions, don't we? we have heard people say that about certain people, they wear their heart on their sleeves, expressions like that. Whether we intend to or not, the things we feel often like anger or surprise or shame or joy have a way of shining through in our body language and our facial expressions. If you would have been with uh, my wife and Carmine and Gianna and I last night at the movies watching Wonka and nobody told me it was a musical, then <laughs> you would have been able to see every time they ripped off into a song just the utter despair and disgust and desperation that would wash over my body. <laughs> or if you've ever had a a child throw a tantrum in public, right, throw themselves down on the ground or something, and your anger will be evident to everyone around you. Um, By the time you finally get them wrapped up and you're able to stomp out to the car with as much dignity as you can still muster, you'll be wearing your anger, right? If your sister-in-law opens up the present that you regifted to her from your mother-in-law in in front of your mother-in-law, your embarrassment, right, will be evident to everybody in the room. The family will see it all over your face. Sometimes we wear our emotions. And that's certainly the case when it comes to contrition and repentance. At least it ought to be. Repentance, that is the desire when God's glory confronts us to turn from our sin and fall into God's mercy, is central to the ebb and flow of the Christian life. It's not so much that we you know, manually repent. That I, I do mean that, but also the idea that we are aware of our ongoing need for repentance is a certain posture that the the Christian ought to have. A certain sense about them that is evident also to others. It's also repentance, a very important theme during Advent. And so, let me start off with a with a question to you, rhetorically. When was the last time that you Christian in particular felt your need to repent of sin? When was the last time that any of us really came genuinely face to face with our sinfulness and the ugly ways it comes out in our lives, at home, at work, at church, in our relationships? When was the last time that we felt shame for falling short Yet again, of the glory of God. We normally attach the need for shame to big, obvious, visible sins. Sin ought to carry with it shame. Whether it's just a matter of, you know, snapping at someone or being unkind to someone or lacking compassion to someone or being rude to someone. These are sins against God. If Christ wasn't there to cover that, there'd be no atonement for it. No forgiveness for it. When did we last wear our contrition until we repented for what we had done and for who we are that enabled us to act like that? That caused us, because of who we are, to respond or to act or to speak like that? Or do again, do we only count big sins worthy of that thing called repentance? Not the ones we commit every day. The ones that we may not even realize we commit anymore. Time and time again we're brought face to face with God's good and perfect standard, the beauty and the weight of which brings us to our knees if we're honest about it. It humbles us to the ground. It fills us with regret. It makes us yearn for grace, which the Father gladly gives us every time in Jesus Christ. Can we do that anymore? can we see ourselves in desperate need of God's grace for forgiveness? That our sin requires God's grace to be forgiven. We don't just need a little bit of course correction. Sweep something under the rug. Feel a little badly about something. And again, we're not talking about wallowing in guilt. We're, I'm, I'm simply talking about when was the last time we had a sense of how much we need to repent of? And therefore how our attitude and posture should be shaped by that. Time and time again, God revives us. He brings us back to life as we look at and lean on and rest in His Son. Advent is intended to be a season of repentance. It's a time to kind of squint our eyes, look even more intently at our weaknesses and our mortality and our failures revealed by God's law that necessitated the coming of Christ for us. When we do this, it creates an extra sense of expectation and urgency for Christmas morning when the grace of God will arrive in flesh and blood in a newborn's cry from the back alley of Bethlehem. There's a powerful example of repentance in Scripture in a very strange place and from a very unexpected people, the Ninevites. Yes, Nineveh, that pagan metropolis, the same prophet who had gotten swallowed and spat out by a whale, hated so much is a picture of repentance. There is an amazing line in the book of Jonah. I think we traditionally think that Jonah was just afraid because the Ninevites were so wicked and awful and brutal, and they were. They were a horribly sadistic people. But then you find out, shockingly, at the end of the book, why Jonah didn't want to go. I knew that you would be merciful to these people, God. How dare you forgive them? That's why I didn't want to come here. Because your word works. Because you're slow to anger. You forgive sinners. Get somebody else to carry that message to people that don't deserve it. Jonah had forgotten his own sinfulness before a holy God, so he did everything he could to avoid the assignment. But eventually, because God loves sinners more than we despise them, Jonah shows up in Nineveh whether he wanted to or not. Now he preached the most bare minimum sermon of all time to them. Just eight words total. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. But salvation is of the Lord. As Jonah recounted, confessed in earlier, and the Word of God creates life where there is death, creates faith where there is only the void of unbelief. Despite Jonah's brevity, his reluctant brevity, the king of Nineveh and all his people, all of them, were cut to the core by that word. God is going to judge you. They believed the words of this reluctant, self-righteous prophet. And in doing so, they believed God. The king and his subjects wanted nothing to do with the judgment of this God. to be clothed in conviction is to be invited to receive the mercy of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your perfect, inerrant, infallible, inspired, authoritative Word for us. Thank You for this passage, Lord. Thank You for this message that we can bring out of it. Lord, I ask You to help us hear this message. So, Lord, please help me preach it in a way that by the means You have ordained makes that possible. Lord, please don't let me get in the way of this message. Please let all of us hear it, me included. Please help me, Father, I ask You in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of Jonah describes the repentance of the Ninevites like this. We're going to pick up in Jonah 3, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. forego food for a designated period of time was to admit your mortality with every hunger pang you felt. To wear sackcloth, that's literal there, was to wrap yourself in humility so that your appearance literally reflected your sinful state. To be covered with dust and ashes for all to see was to publicly embrace the shame of your sin. And the Ninevites, a sadistic pagan people, did this from the throne room to the stable. From the king to the cow. Yes, even the cows were dressed in contrition. Why? Because the king felt it. He realized that everyone and everything in this place because of us is evil. It's tainted everything. That is grief over sin. Right? He, he's not even, notice what he says there. Maybe. We have offended this God so badly, if we would at least repent and be sorry for what we had done and turn towards Him instead of living away from Him, maybe He'll be merciful to us and we won't get destroyed in 40 days. This was real, unmistakable repentance. God had caused His Word in the mouth of a proud and angry prophet To create such a sense of awareness of their need for forgiveness before God's justice in Nineveh that even the livestock are dressed in it. Faced with the judgment of God, the Ninevites don't just feel bad. This is, as Paul talks about in the 2nd Corinthians, this is godly sorrow. Why? Because it's led to repentance. They wore their grief. They wore their conviction. Literally. So this is more than an emotion. and you say, well, certainly not everybody felt it. it it's irrelevant. Right? The picture is clear. Plenty of them clearly did because God turns from His anger. This was an expression. right? It was a loathing of sin so deep. A desire to be different or new that was so palpable. A hunger for mercy that was so intense. You couldn't help but literally see it on the outside to shine through the body and be communicated in their countenance this wasn't a personal pious secret they had that makes dealing with sin very it makes it far too individualistic and we've bought into that because we're Americans we like individualism and so this is between me and god this is our business and 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 it is but the pictures of repentance in scripture like this this kind are visible on purpose there is a sense for sin that cuts us so deeply, you can see it. And, and what we need to understand, me included, is that being able to see that in our brothers and sisters is crucial for our fellowship. I'm, I'm probably going to, I think I'm saying this later because it's in my notes. What well, I'm about to say is not in my notes. So if I repeat it, that's why. And now I've forgotten it. What they going to say? Unreal. It, it's well. I'm going to say it later, so we'll come back to it. <laughs> but this, this, this wasn't a secret. This was open revelation. I have. When was the last time we repented like that? If if it were to be done this way, do you know where your sackcloth and ashes are located? Could you find them if you needed to? But what would people think if they knew I was that sinful? Yeah, what would they think? Now, if you live in a culture of Pharisees, you certainly don't want to look needy. You don't want to look needy. that That's a strange message we put out there. So that the message it doesn't really become about... The, The forgiveness of sins. This place is where you receive the forgiveness of sins. Rather, the message is often, this is the place where you don't need it that badly. That creates a certain posture and appearance and attitude that people also see. I mean, what would people think if they thought you needed Jesus as badly as a real sinner does? What What might people think of me? That's the driving question. What will people think of me? The lengths to which we will go to cover up the truth are insane if there's truly the forgiveness of sins among us. It's all about appearances. So maybe, again, this is this is a heavy word, but maybe we don't believe the gospel at all. Or at least we aren't preaching it back to ourselves and to ourselves consistently. Accurately. Even though he was just as bad and broken as the worst of Ninevites in God's reckoning. It's probably been a while. Since Jonah repented. Since we've shed a tear over our sin, let alone sat in ashes with him. Again, you don't need to go out and buy ashes and buy sackcloth. It's, it's no longer, that's no longer necessary. And thank God it's not. But there is a sense of conviction and contrition that is healthy for a Christian to wear. That can be seen. You say, how do I see that? In the way we talk to and treat others. Especially those for whom, from whom we're trying to get something. It's a litmus test. How do you speak to waiters and waitresses? How do you speak to them? How do you speak to those who are serving you? That's a good way to know the condition of our heart. We say, well, it's so small a thing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks to waitresses and waiters. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, period. And it, it's... Again, whatever sackcloth and ashes would equal in today's age, it's, its again, it's not that if we don't... We're not talking about fake feelings for the sake of looking sorry. We're not talking about holding on to guilt to try to feel badly enough so that we can repent. None of that. It's that we would feel the weight of our sin to the same degree that God is offended by it. We are the curse came because God said, don't do that one thing. And they did it. Nobody got killed. There wasn't any adultery. There wasn't any, you know, the high sins that really require something like repentance. It was, I said, do this and you didn't do it. So every time you're commanded to do something like forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, love your neighbor as yourself. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Be forgiving of one another. Those are things God has said. Every time we say no to God in those things, we have sinned to the same extent they did in the Garden of Eden. And if it was on us, we would be throwing the entire human race into death and damnation. Every time we sin, this is the law of the Holy God. The issue here in this repentance is the recognition of God. The king of Nineveh realized that God is so holy, we better cover ourselves in dust and ashes. God never said, you have to do that. They just felt so deeply their own sin that they did it. We have to do something. We have to do something. Again, it's 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 a matter of realizing what sin is. We need God's help for this. We need God's grace for this. Sins merit death. All of them. You can call them white lies. They're lies. Death. From God's standard, beloved. That's what that merits. Why? Because God is who He is. If if everyone in our church, including the pastor, most certainly... Or to take an honest look at our spirituality, we probably need to repent of our repentance because it isn't what it needs to be. I'm sorry when I do wrong. How many people know that? So well, do you, do you want me to walk around in a robe that, no, I mean, they did in Nineveh. But no, it's, it's, it's not that. It's, it's, It comes out. How you feel about your own sinfulness comes out in all your relationships, all your dealings. Every place you live, every place you are, what you believe about yourself comes out. I preach this big Gospel of grace. I'm one of the most self-righteous, selfish people I know. Right? I need it so badly. It disgusts me at times. I could see how, you know, speaking of that, preaching a lot on grace, or you might think, well, he preaches very, you know, soft on sin. Soft on sin. Could it be that preachers that talk like this most of the time, right, seem soft on sin because they aren't talking about the sins outside of the building, right? Nearly as much as they're talking about the sins inside of the building that nobody wants to admit they're doing. Right? We don't have some big, huge immorality happening right in front of our face that we have to call out. I mean, it is. It just doesn't look like it is. Right? Because we think of that as immoral, not really that. That's kind of a problem you have. This is a sin. That's a problem you struggle with. This is a sin. It's all in the name. That's what, again, you change the name from illegal alien to undocumented immigrant because you have an agenda. So you you change the name of sin to problem, to issue, to person. That's just who I am. Yeah, repent of who you are. That's what Scripture says. We, we, just, we, we just accept you. I'm going to sin against you by my attitude by my actions by my words but that's just my personality right that's just who i am that's just a personality issue right no it's a sin in the eyes of the living god to whom we will all give an account as a pastor right it just i'm not nearly as troubled by the sin and immorality out there or in hollywood as i am in this house as i am in my own heart I'm responsible for shepherding this flock, right? I'm concerned about what's going on here. The challenge here is to unrepentant Christians. That, that's what we that's that's what we're going after within the Church of Jesus Christ, right? Sins of pride. That's an abomination. We forget that that's an abomination. We just we just that's just who people are. It's an abomination. It's on the list of seven deadlies, beloved. Right? And we're, we're putting stuff on that list. God didn't even put on that list. Because, why? Because we're prideful. Because we're gluttonous. Because we're lazy. Because we have wrath in us, right? We don't talk about those things like what they are. We talk about what they're doing out there. It it shifts the focus from us. It makes us feel very righteous. Well, at least I'm not, I thank you God that I'm not like that. Beloved, the guy that prays like that isn't justified. The one that beats his breast, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the posture. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be in private and in public. Right. We want our preachers to talk about the sins the sinners are committing, not the sins the saints are committing. Right? There's there's no assurance. There's no promise of assurance to those who are flat out unrepentant. That's the mark of the believer. When you talk about church discipline, for example, in Matthew 18, it's amazing. There's one sin you can remove a person from a congregation for. It's unrepentance. Why? Because there's nothing more unchristian than an attitude of unrepentance. Repentance is the most Christian thing you can be and do. It is the ultimate acknowledgment that God is holy and I am sinful. Right? And say, so, well, but we're Christians, right? Exactly. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord Jesus builds into the prayer for us, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us." Jesus doesn't even say you have to get necessarily specific. What you need to do is bank on you needing forgiveness because you've sinned. The Lord knows what they are. We ought to know that we're sinners. And what I pray is that you would hear that not as condemnation, but as salvation. Take heart. This morning, God knows that we're like this. He knows that we're like this. He knows that I'm like this, the preacher. And He's prepared a gift for us in response. A gift. I think probably we most often think about Jesus Christ as our salvation. Jumping immediately to the cross where He died, right? To forgive us of our sins. And that's a wonderful place to jump, right? But a significant part of Christ's saving work, just as important, just as crucial and visible, is not only His dying for us, but in His living for us. He did that too for us. We don't think about that as much, probably. It's as if in our minds, Jesus died to get us started in what will become our own salvation project if we take Him seriously. Enough. I'll forgive you of the past. You go and make me proud of your future now. No. No, no it's, it's in His living for us also. It's in His incarnation we await an Advent that He embodies perfectly the humanity that you and I when faced with our sin, so often fail to embrace. Why was Jesus a man of sorrows acquainted with grief? Because He was just down all the time? Absolutely not. No, He was, beloved, carrying the weight of our sin and our guilt and our shame from the stable to the cross. All of it. Right? I mean, how specific did He get in His holy mind that would also human tony's not going to feel the guilt he needs to feel over that sin i'll carry that too i'll take that and nail that to the cross with the rest of me we need his living for us as much as his dying for us i mean let's let's think about that it's one thing for God to take on flesh and be a man, but for Him to do it in utter weakness as a baby. I mean, God could have sent Jesus in Samson form at 25. No, as a, as a baby. First in the womb of Mary, in utero, in Mary. That's incredible in the most accurate sense of the world. He's, he's born to an unwed girl. What a scandal. On a holy night, a cold night, with less than a little renown, He makes himself completely vulnerable, completely susceptible to the brutalities of this world, capable even of death. The prophet Isaiah says he would grow to become, like I said, a a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53, uh, one who was easy to overlook. Jesus became that for us. He was that for us, right? in addition to his dying for us. Jesus was the kind of God you'd first pity rather than praise. The Son of God wrapped Himself in that. Why? Because that's what we should be. And we are busting our behinds to look great and successful and put together and no problems. That's what social media is for. Isn't it strange how much care we take to look so good and successful and put together? Particularly, we think, because I'm a Christian, I should look. Should look what? Right? It's not just the young people on social media that have an image problem. Right. The, the older we get, the more important it becomes to us that people not think poorly of us. It comes out in the way we dress. It comes out in the way we do things, the way we spend our money. We're all like this from the cradle to the grave. We need a savior who isn't like that from the cradle to the grave because to be like that is an idolatrous affront to a holy God. My very existence is that. When does it come out? When is that visible about my Christianity? This is the king of the universe in the story of Jesus Christ coming to the earth, embracing rejection first from His own people. That's part of why He came to an unwed mother in such a scandal. To face the rejection, the disgust of His own people. How dare you claim to be associated with God, much less His Son. And you come from fornication, Jesus. See, God is from the word go, just taking all our self-righteousness and turning it on its head so that we will break. Treat it as a sinner, even though He knew not one speck of sin in thought, word, or deed. Not a speck of it. We're, I'm drenched in it. In His incarnation, in His living, and in His dying, Jesus wears the humility, the weakness, the shame, the rejection, and the mortality a sense of mortality that rightly belongs to us and should characterize us, not Him. And He did it so that we could receive membership in the Father's family. Membership that belongs by divine right only to Him, actually. Matt Popovich says, He went from the throne room to the stable. The king was born among the cows. He didn't just feel bad for us in our awful state. He joined us in it. He expressed his sorrow. It shone through his life and it was communicated to his countenance. He wore it. He wore it. See, you might think at the beginning of the message, the push is to get you to feel a certain way. I want you to have faith in Christ who wore what he should wore. Because you and I, no matter how hard we try, no matter how well we mean, We're going to repent of our sin and confess them as we should and must to our God. And we're going to go right out and do it again. Or some other sin. And we're going to be like that even if we improve until the day we die. That's just the facts. And it can't be the periphery or it will hurt our posture. The posture God wants us to have. He wants us to look like we need His Son to be everything for us. The story is not about me. Right? I'm not the main character in the Christian story. I'm not the main character in my Christian story. It's Christ. It's his clothes. It's him. It's that attitude, that posture, this perfect weakness, this substitutionary humility he had. He was also humble for me. I'm not humble. goodness sakes. The substitutionary humility of Christ covers over our limp and lame shows of sorrow. We might mean it, but it's less than God deserves. We need a savior. Keep the, what Jesus carried, what Jesus wore for me, it replaces my impotent expressions of regret. Because my regret's never enough. It will never purify me. It will never make me holy before God. I might have it and have it in spades. It's not going to purify me. It's not going to make me holy. Only Jesus can do that for me. Only Jesus felt what I should feel appropriately about my sin. In His incarnation, Jesus wears as His countenance the right amount of conviction that our sins merit. And He didn't even do it. We did it. He does everything for us because we need Him to. Because sometimes I don't feel badly enough. I don't take my sin seriously enough. Sometimes I probably do, although I doubt it. I know that I can feel pretty awful, pretty regretful and guilty, but I I don't think it's enough. Because as he says in Hebrews, you haven't resisted it to the point of shedding your own blood. That's what it takes if you want adjudication. It's going to take the blood of the high priest. Our salvation, dearly beloved of God, will not come from figuring out how to do enough or feel enough. It comes from Jesus who did it all for us and by faith grants that to me, to us as our righteousness. And then the good works I do, beloved, they're the reflection of the work that has been done in me. We are free. I want you to hear this. We are free to have no faith in our repentance. To not bank on our sincerity and well-meaning intentions at all. We're free from it. Walk away from it. You're not on the hook to feel what you need to feel. Jesus did that it doesn't mean we don't feel regrets or conviction. Clearly, that's what this is about. What we need to know is that this is God's grace because it is nowhere near what we ought to feel. So we better feel something. I hope that makes sense. Not because it will forgive us, but because it's happened. You are free to have no faith in your repentance. No repent, we must. And confess our sins. We must. But instead to have faith in Christ. Who has been. Perfectly humble. Perfectly weak. Perfectly frail. Perfectly mortal. On our behalf. On our behalf. Seeing Christ wrapped in weakness. Pictured in this little baby. In this manger we have. I'm thankful for this picture. This little baby. Seeing Him wrapped in weakness. God's aim is to lead us. To publicly confess to the world our own. He's not after self-deprecation. He's after honesty. Realization of holy and unholy. He's that. I'm the latter. It'll come out or something else will come out. When does this happen? This, hopefully at the very least in church. When we're amongst one another. Hopefully that's when confession happens. God gathers us into His house to confess our sins together. That's in the Scripture. We don't really do that. And to one another. To Him and to one another verbally and boldly and honestly as part of a you know, an order of service or act of worship or liturgy. That we're wretched sinners and we're desperate frauds. And that's who we are. That's a culture change for a church, right? That stuff is no one else's business. Well, probably not most of it. Yeah, like don't mean like all the details need to come out. They shouldn't. But what kind of culture do we want to maintain here? What image, right? I don't. This this would be my concern here. What do we want people to think is the truth about us? You don't have to grovel and walk around with ashes and sackcloth. None of that's necessary anymore. Why? Because Jesus has died. Jesus is the one that's made it obvious how sinful we are. We don't have to wear sackcloth and ashes anymore. Jesus was covered naked in shame and pain and blood His own for us. What needed to be worn has been worn. What you and I must do in repentance, is make sure the world knows what holds us together is that He wore it for me. And I have no clothes. I am nothing. Right. It is in confession that God enables us, causes us, allows us to respond to Him with joy. How can sinners have real and palpable joy? Because it's finished. When you hear him say sometimes through the voice of the pastor the words I declare to you now, there is no judgment in Jesus Christ. Repentant sinner, there's no judgment in Jesus Christ. Every piece and every part of the sins you've confessed are freely and forever forgiven. See, that's my job and I just did it. All right. To give that to you. I pray you make the most of this Advent season. I pray that you repent. That you'd be cut to the core with grief over your sin. For without Christ, we are a short time from the judgment of God. But as with Nineveh, you are called to repent so that you would avoid it. So that you might receive and rejoice in this, you are forgiven. Forgiven. In Christ, God relents of His anger toward us. That was their design. That was their plan. They are one in it. There's no division. There's no fight. This is the way of things. As God convicts us, let us confess our sins even to one another at times. As James 5.16 commands us to. Right? Again, it's you, it's not about you've you got to share all the gory details and say everything you've done and remember everything you've done wrong every time, no, no and no, no. it's a It's a sense of self that is distinctly Christ-like and Christian. If you keep if, if we keep everything individualistic and private, it creates a culture that will breed only hypocrites. Right, Because the most important thing is not to look like you're a sinner. You can say that you're one. You can say that you're not perfect. You can say but you can't actually confess real sins. That's a culture we don't want to have. It breeds Pharisees and hypocrites. Because when when you get under the image, it's horrible. So as God convicts us, let us confess our sins. Maybe we've Clothed ourselves in our own hubris and pride and outward behavior for so long that we've forgotten that we need God's grace now more than ever, if that's the case. But as He brings us to life with the gospel, let us celebrate. Celebrate. See, that's the beautiful thing. To be clothed in conviction by the Word of God is to be precisely where you need to be. See, that's how precious and sufficient the sacrifice of Christ is for you. To turn to Christ now, you see, it covers everything. So you should sing very loudly and happily. And don't be ashamed of it. And it might be awkward, sure. But cows did it. Right? And if a cow in Nineveh can do it, why can't we... God has gone to the greatest of lengths to express how He feels for you. If we can use the word feel rightly of God. Sending His Son from heaven to earth to rescue you. Beloved, that's the story. That's our story. I pray that it be your story.